Oh, really? We already had started. We, we did that. Yeah. I think that's good. I'm going to stop talking, and you guys are just going to do it. All right. Uh, so uh, we have Clark Ice here with us today. Um, All right. I'm already breaking my silence. Which we knew would happen. You kind of messed with his name. It wasn't clear. It sounded like Clark. Class. All right. So. <laughs> Jesus. This is awesome. <laughs> Tough crowd. This is where this is why we need hummus because hummus seems to settle everybody down. down. Right. It, it gets people to shut up a little bit because they're eating their stuff. And... Oh my god! I love it. All right, Clark. Uh, you were involved in a uh, rescue. You you called a mayday. This is a Clark class that we're talking to today. Uh, once you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and then kind of go through and tell us a little bit of the story and these guys will pepper in some questions that may have about it. All right. Well, I'm Clark Glass. I work for a fire department in the metropolitan Atlanta area. Been in the fire service for 20 years. And that's about it. What's your position? I'm a lieutenant. How long have you been had that position? One year. One year. Did you only work at that one metro department your entire career? Did no. You? So I've worked for, I worked for another really small department and then I went to Another big department. <laughs> what was the, uh, like the small departments, what size was it approximately? Two stations was the small department. Okay. And then I went to a significantly larger department. And then I've worked for a handful of part-time departments through the years as well. Cool. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll move on. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so talk about the, the, the Mayday. Did you call Mayday for that? I, actually, somebody else called Mayday. Okay, so Mayday was initiated. Was called, yes. All right, All right so kind of set the, the framework, I guess, of, of the situation, what happened. Okay, well, it was a, uh, a large house in a uh, fairly large city in Georgia. Um, we were, I was actually on a second alarm assignment, an engine. I was assigned to go in, assist with the fire attack. We went in, worked for a little while, were pulled out, and went to a defensive operation. Stayed defensive for a while, and then was sent back in on a second floor through a ladder, or up a ladder through a window, to try and pull some ceiling. <clears throat> and there was fire in the attic. We we're going to pull ceiling, flow some water in the attic, and be done with it, hopefully. Uh, went in through the window, started pulling ceiling. Uh, chief called a defensive operation, called us back out, and once that happened, the the attic and the uh, roof came down and trapped me while I was in there. So that's it in a nutshell. And were you the only one that was in the window at that time? I mean, in that, that Me room? and one other guy okay. were inside the room. <clears throat> so we went in. There was three of us, or four of us assigned to the engine. Two of us got in first, and we were the only ones in there working at the time. How long had you been working? At that point? Probably, uh, I would say less than five minutes, probably three to five minutes. So, at all. I want to make sure I get this right. So, you guys were given basically it was kind of a overhaul, oh, it's extension. Like an overhaul. yeah. So, you go, they said go up into that second floor, mm-hmm. go in that window, yeah. And then, in five minutes later, they call and turn it back to a defensive operation, pulled us back out. Uh, we turned around immediately to. To go back out took probably three steps towards the window going back out the window we came in down the ladder and 
to me, I had no warning at all. It was one of the quickest things I've ever experienced. I was walking towards the window one second, and the next thing I remember, I was pinned on the floor. Visibility's good? It, uh, yeah. When we went in, I actually, going through the window, it was a metal frame window, and I looked across the room, and I kind of briefly thought about not even, I had my face piece on, I thought about not masking up or not taking my regulator in, and I thought better of it, clipped in, so you could see really well. So that's how good the visibility was, because I kind of briefly thought about not, not right. using air. What was the better of it? What what was, was it a gut feeling, or what was it that triggered, eh, let me cool just head. go ahead and regulate her up. And, and it was a gut feeling. Yeah, as I went in through that window, that was probably one of the biggest gut feelings I've ever had that I ignored. Is it going through that window, I thought, you know, if I go in here, it was a really tight fit. I'm a small guy. And it was hard for me to get in. I almost had to kind of like low profile to get through the pane of the window. Mm-hmm. And I thought, as I was going through the window, if something happens, it's going to take me a minute I to get come back out. out of hurry. There's no quick way out of here. Right. And, but, I mean, it was a clear room. It looked solid. So you've been, would it be fair to say you've been in similar situations before? And this one, I mean, they may be a little bit different with the window, but something triggered that gut feeling. For instance, I can go through... 10 windows that are all similar and not have that feeling and then was there was it just because the the window or just the whole thing itself triggered something in? you know it was probably probably the window is what triggered it <clears throat> but uh i would say it was probably an overall just an overall awareness of what was going on that kind of just it was something i couldn't click my mind on at the time and uh and that's probably what gave me that that gut feeling that, that I ignored. And I ask that because sometimes we'll get a gut feeling mm-hmm. and we'll ignore it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you come up with whatever theology in your brain. Uh, obviously, it happens real quick. But there's something to be said about that gut feeling on a fire incident. Mm-hmm. Does it necessarily need to be a, something specific, just something that tells you something's off? Yep. And you could ignore it and end up having pay the consequences for it. So by saying ignoring it, meaning that you went in anyway? Correct. But you did mask up. So I did mask up. Right. I had my face piece on. decided, you know, I'll, I'll clip in. I got, a, I got a bottle of air on my back. There's no reason not to use it. And uh, so clipped in, low profile through the window, and then had a ceiling hook. Uh, the other guy that was in there with me came in behind me with a nozzle. So I had a ceiling hook. And uh, it, was a, it was a really strange ceiling. It was actually built... Uh, in the 20s, I believe, to be fireproof. It had a, some sort of a, it wasn't really plaster and lath. It was almost like an expanded metal that the sheetrock or plaster actually had been had been applied to. So, I mean, you could work and work and work and work, and you'd get a hole that big. And usually when you get that hole started, you know, it starts coming down pretty easy. The listeners don't know what that big means. <laughs> uh, let's say three inches, four inches. And the window was little, narrow, like vertical little, narrow, or horizontal it a, narrow? It was a big casement window, mm-hmm. and the panes themselves were metal, and they were small. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so how did the air supply play into the rescue? Um, I had exactly the right amount of air. Um, literally, when, they were, when the guys that got me out were pulling me out, my mask was sucking in my face. I had no more air after that. And you couldn't really eat your regulator or no. anything like that? You were I, the only thing I could move was from my right knee down. It was actually 
not pinned by debris or whatever it was that was on me so I could actually move my my right leg from my knee down everything else was pinned I couldn't get to my radio I couldn't I couldn't cheat my mask I couldn't get to my pass device I couldn't do anything what runs through your mind when something comes down on you to the point where your body can't you can't move you can't physically defend yourself at all and you got to depend on your your crews and everything else what runs through it's your a helpless feeling it's a, it's a real helpless feeling I mean there, there was a number of things and I don't even know if I could even verbalize it that, that went through my mind um, I guess the uh, I guess the, the towards the later stages of, of when it was happening I wasn't sure if, if I was gonna if these guys were gonna get me out or not I figured well I'll probably suffocate and there really won't be anything wrong with me, so maybe they can get me down the ladder and it'll be a, a better paramedic than me that'll, that'll get me back. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's back up to the, you're pulling ceiling, mm-hmm. they, five minutes in, and they say, okay, this is going to be def- defensive operation, everybody back out. Start from right there. Okay, so pulling ceiling immediately, usually I'm the guy... I'm going to listen to you on the radio, but sometimes I might drag my feet a little bit coming back out. No. Not anymore. No, <laughs> not you, Clark. Um, that That's fire, a whole other conversation. but <laughs> That fire, I actually turned immediately around and went to the window. And, uh, and literally, that's, that's from my perspective, that's the only other thing I remember. It was a, uh, you know, one second I'm walking towards the window, the next second I'm pinned. Uh, I, I remember feeling like that was a massive amount of of, of, of something that just came down. So you feel f- you didn't hear anything. You just no kind of feel no. no. the building shake. Like uh, you know, you know that feeling that you get when something big comes yeah. down next to you. I'm and familiar. I could feel that. You know, <laughs> and so I knew there was a lot of weight, you know, somewhere up on top of me. Wow. And so I, so now you're pinned. Try. I was pinned. I thought well. Maybe I can move it, so I tried, and instantly I, I knew pretty quick that I was pinned to the point where I couldn't move anything other than my right leg, and so there wasn't any trying to bench press it off of me or, or wiggle my way off. That was what I was going to ask. So, when how were you positioned? I was positioned on my back. I think I was more to my left side with my bottom oh, kind of right. kicking me over to the left, and uh, there's actually a, a good bit of, of weight on my face piece too because I was. You know, I knew I was getting low on air because we had already been working off the same bottle before this. So I thought, well, I can maybe I can kind of cheat my mask a little bit and still breathe, but I couldn't. I wasn't able to do that, and um, and that was pretty much it. You know, I, I, me and a, a real close friend of mine joke around about it all, all the time, and he's like, "All you really did was was lay there for 16 minutes while everybody else <laughs> right did not while you're all and been out true. of shape." Yeah. <laughs> so as you're laying there in that event happens and that immediately you start to kind of process what mm-hmm. happened do you are you then kind of starting to do this catalog of am i hurt a like is bit. my am i are you kind of going through your fingers arms is my uh, knee i was actually uh i guess there was a fire maybe burning in the room beneath where i was because I, I could feel i was i was getting burned on my on my leg my left leg and my hips and so that really kind of that and the air issue kind of took my attention off of kind of cataloging everything. I knew, okay, my, my left leg's burning. It's hurting pretty good. So okay. that kind of pulled my attention towards that. 
more than really cataloging anything. Because you actually ended up with like a second degree burn, right? Third. Yeah. Third degree burn yeah. Yeah. on your leg. And you said the rescue took how long? 16 minutes. It's a long 16 minutes, though. Yeah, that's what we actually probably should name this in 16 minutes. <laughs> wow, that is a long time. Yeah, if you're laying now, when it first happened, you said you had weight on your face, so you couldn't see. Couldn't see anything. So you were covering debris. You're not seeing nothing. It's Correct. just a bunch of debris sitting on you. So you don't know yeah. if you got the whole house sitting on you. Yeah, I didn't know. And, uh, could you hear the other guy in the room? I could hear. I could hear uh, the other person I was with. Yeah, but I didn't know if he was trapped too. Right. I didn't know if he was injured or trapped. But I knew he was. I could. I could hear him, and then I could hear the guys that came in working. So I knew, you know, what was going on. Um, but you know, that was pretty much it. The rest of the time, it was me laying there and these guys working their tails off, getting me out. And did the rescue rip companies come through that window? They did. They cut the bars with a uh, circular saw, or the not the bars, but the the panes on the right. window, metal panes, and so I felt good. That was one thing that kind of, kind of helped me uh, and boosted my morale. Is when I heard a saw at that window, I knew okay, something's something's moving something's along here, right. you know. And then at one point, I heard the saw quit, so that took my morale down a couple of steps. <laughs> and then I heard the saw start up again. Um, so I think there may have been some issues with keeping the saw running, but they either way they got through the window fairly quickly, and then I could I could tell they were working inside with me, and I, I believe they end up using chainsaws inside to actually just cut some of the debris into a manageable to get it size off the piece that they could they could lift off. Could you communicate with them at all? I mean, was there any time where someone said was trying to? No, there wasn't really any dialogue between me and those guys, and there was a lot going on between the saws. My pass device was still going off. I couldn't turn it off. And so, you know, between all that going on, you know, I, I don't know if that was the reason for not communicating or if it was just me, you know. I wasn't focused in on doing that at the time. I don't know. But, um, and, and those guys, it's, it's a coincidence or God or however you want to you want to say it it was the three three strongest guys that probably maybe worked for our department but definitely on that shift they were all came together at that point they were in there and I believe if there had been any any different person out of that three in that group I probably wouldn't be here it was those specific guys that, that were able to get me out and, and any any Anything out of that scenario had changed, and I believe I probably wouldn't be here. So before you move on, let's talk about that for a second. So a lot of times when we assign writ, mm-hmm. do we assign it to the three strongest, most Never. capable people? No. Who do we give it to? It's usually whoever got there. Well, it's <laughs> – I don't know of a good way to put this. It's usually the people you would expect it not find inside a burning building sometimes. Right, right, right. So you have 60 minutes. I mean, that's what eventually happened, 60 minutes of air per se. Mm-hmm. And so we, we talked about that before, how soon you call the writ, and then who is training and who who do you have out there? How much time do you want to mm-hmm. give? Maybe not the best, maybe not the most equipped firefighters to come get you. You know, that time limit, you know, I think I can get myself out. And that wasn't the case in this situation, but you know, it goes to bear, you know, that not always is that writ assignment such a bad assignment you know that, that it was between you know life or death here now I, these guys may have not been the writ guys per se because everybody was going defensive and they were outside Correct. but in the instance that it is the writ guys you know 
those guys need to be on their A game. They, they need to know what they're doing. They need to try to make the building safer and do those kind of things. And I don't want to. I don't want to get anybody disappointed in the wrong direction. But was the assigned writ crew what got you, or no. did a formulation? I of think a it writ? was. I believe it was a formulation of maybe some of the writ crew, and then a truck company that was also on scene. So it wasn't just writ. I believe there was part of a writ crew that was involved. But there was only so much room in there. You know, right. you have a truck and an engine, and in our department, that's seven guys. You know, there was room for seven guys in there. So, and that's a, that's another thing. If it had been me as part of this, it's a humbling thing for me, knowing that <clears throat> if it had been one of those guys in my shoes and I had been one of those three guys, I probably wouldn't have been strong enough to help get them out. Because it was literally, when I say it was the strongest guys, it was three of the strongest guys I know. And I... And, and that's the only reason I'm here. And even then, they they struggled. They were struggling. Yeah, yeah. I think one of them ended up hurting his ankle. Yeah, you know, yeah. trying to affect the rescue. Uh, did the the weight of the stuff did it compromise your breathing at all? No, no. And that's just pure luck. Yeah, there. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And after doing some reading after the fact, that's uh, most most firefighter injuries or deaths from a collapse. It's from crush injuries rather than. You know, just being trapped and running out of air, most of them. If, either if they die then or later, it's because of traumatic crush injuries. So i got a three-part question for you. What advice would you have for anybody before it happened, while it's happening, and then after it? Mm. Well, before it's happened, all you can do is just train. Um, you know, one thing that kind of ran through my mind during it was that, well, there's, there's – I couldn't have done any more – to prepare myself and I think I'd have been on the fire service at the time for maybe 16 years not good at math right now <laughs> um, this math thing keeps coming up I, th I thought at the time you know there, there's there's no way I could have prepared more to be able to get out you know I've done everything I could do up to that point and that helped me accept mentally whatever was going to happen at that point yeah, yeah, for the listeners that Clark's really trying to be humble about it, he's in extremely good shape. I think Trudge would agree to this. Yeah. I mean, he physically pushes himself on a regular basis. It works out, uh, stays physically fit. You know, he is by far one of the fittest guys I know on the department. So I, I think that's kind of what he's alluding to is, you know, that he really has prepared himself to be in this type of situation, although nobody wants to be in this situation. And, you know, you're training in gear. You're doing a lot of things that Others most don't. are not doing. So for you to be able to sustain an amount of time under those conditions mentally, so I see you working out in turnout gear all the time and pushing yourself and pushing the bottle to the end and all that kind of stuff. So that's preparations that a lot of firefighters are not taking. They should. So, yeah, you're, you're, they should. We all should. Uh, but I know you do that, so that has to help tremendously in, in the psychological game when you're sitting there going yeah I would agree with you do everything to prepare yourself it's, it's possible but the three guys that helped get me out it's the same thing those are all guys I've worked with through the years and every one of them works out on a regular basis to stay fit and strong and that's that's another part of what goes into that not not necessarily just me staying trained or in shape or whatever you want to call it it's it's those guys as well they prepared for for however long i don't know how long they've each of them has been in the fire service but i've personally worked in stations with each of those guys for you know for years and i know i know whatever you want to say about them they all train and they all work out on a regular basis so it's not just the one person but everybody as far as deering and in, in 
in that situation for me, I literally couldn't do anything. But thinking back on it, the one thing I had control over was the space that was between my face and my face piece. That was the only thing I had control over was, was in here and my brain and then my breathing. I couldn't control my arms. Well, I could control my right leg. I don't give too much uh, credit to my right leg for, for anything that went on. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't but, help uh, out all that much. <laughs> didn't do a whole lot. But That's uh, about as good of a joke as you're going to get. Right? <laughs> so, that's pretty much it for the day for me. Um, but, yeah, I was able to control the distance between my face and my face piece. It's the only thing I had the ability to control. So I just I took control of that, you know. And that was pretty much all I could do, I think, at that point, other than just lay there and let those guys do their thing. Well, before we started recording, you kind of talked about that a little bit, that you do a lot of reading on mental toughness and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And maybe maybe you can elaborate on some of that, you know, is how are you controlling that? How should somebody work to control um, that? Well, a lot of the books I read are military, uh, are from military guys, guys with experience in military or special forces. And... I think any any situation that you're in, you got to break it down. It's just like spanning control on the fire ground. You know, you can't control any more than five to seven things. You know, I can't control the fact that there's a slate roof on top of me. I can't control how fast those guys are going to come in the window. You know, so focus on what you can do something about. You know, whether it's how many breaths you take a minute, or finding a wall to get you out if you're lost. Or before you go in, you know, you can control whether your air pack is ready to go or you can control the kind of shape you're in or how fast you get to the call. So just break down whatever you're going through into something that you can actually manage and deal with. Um, I got a question for you on that. You know, in the short time that we've gotten to know each other, mm-hmm. um, I can see that you spent a lot of time talking about that mental toughness, and so you get the physical side of it, but there's also that mental component that is very, very important. <clears throat> but you said something earlier where you were talking when you were laying there that you truly were starting to have this kind of roller coaster event happening. You were high at one point because you heard saws, and then you were low at one point because it had stopped. How do you deal with that in that mental toughness? Because even you were kind of struggling with your morale a little bit. You know what I mean? Like your your uh, that that toughness. I don't know that that's something that I could explain. Um, I think that's part of, of of training and reading and 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 learning is is figuring out on your own your own path on how you're going to deal with that. I think everybody's going to deal with that in a different way. So I, I don't I don't know that I could answer that accurately. That's okay. We never answer questions no, from here anyway. There's never we never answers come out of anything. anything. Um, I, I, guess, I, that guess, regularly. I guess it's just the normal ebb and flow. You know? I guess but just just bring your mind back to something you can do something about. You know, right. when I hear the saw quit, it's not something I can handle. You know, that's something those guys have to deal with. Right. But I can handle. Okay, I've I've got a 20 minute bottle on my back right now. You know, that's something I can do. I can do something about that. You can control your breathing, right? Not, not hyperventilate, not get right. excited, not yeah. anxious, or yeah. So your your brain actually went there. You at certain points during the incident, you were paying attention to your breathing. Yeah, I thought uh, it, it. I was conscious of it through the whole time, but once my vibro alert quit going off, that was before there was a, a lot of rescue going on at the time. 
so it got real quiet and I got really really lonely at that point mm-hmm. and I realized at that point you know there was not much time left before you know between your vibe alert not going off and being out of air I knew that that was that was a pretty important time to, to deal with or to manage what I could during that time now I know because I've had the luxury of doing this with you mm-hmm. that we've done some bottle drills for those that are listening that don't do this how important is it for you to take the time and train in that bottle till it is dry and you're sucking face piece oh it's everything because that's that's when it gets hard it's not hard until your face piece starts sucking your face that's when that's when the drill begins and i know within the stuff that we've been doing what's critical with it is that at least you kind of had to have a little concept of what you can do with that bottle where somebody else may not because they don't trained to the intensity that you do where you're out there all the time with this bottle till it's dry so you kind of have a concept an idea some muscle memory of that where another fighter firefighter may be in your exact position and they don't know when that vibe alert goes off it may be like my life's over right now versus yeah they go into hysterics and start straining and start you know burning a lot more that's it i'm done yeah where you practice that through muscle memory so that has to have i would assume I haven't been in, in your position, thank God, but that has to have some type of impact on on the outcome of the situation for you because you said it was t- exactly to the minute. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that second. your training played a huge role in it. He's about to suck that bottle inside out. I was yeah. trying. <laughs> <laughs> the inside was coming. So after, what would be the advice after this event now? Mm. Yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, especially as you being an officer, and, and this was when you were a firefighter, so this is you as an officer, you're having to kind of take the lessons that you've learned from this and your experiences, and we all take things that we've gone through and, and put it into the way we lead people. Yeah, I guess I I struggle with as As an officer now, I want to train the guys that I'm with, and I, and I want to do it on a daily basis. And obviously that's something that happened to me, so I want – you know, help people be prepared if I can, if that happens, but know that, you know, that may never happen again, you know. So Hopefully not. There, there's there's, there's a million other things that could happen. So trying to, to focus on as wide of an array of, of problems to deal with or be, be prepared for a, as wide of a, an array of, of, of issues that you might deal with as possible, I guess, would be, uh, would be what I would say. You know, I, I, w- I would say my training has gotten more uh, I've done more of it I've become more conscientious of it since that event you know it's become uh, I wouldn't say obsessive you know but I'm maybe maybe a little bit pretty close (laughs) (laughs) but um, I guess that would be uh, I I guess that would be what I would say you know as far as as dealing with it I haven't had any kind of mental issues with it that you know of. Yeah, I know of. I was already, you know, I, what you guys see here is what I was born with. I've been like this, believe it or not, for most of my adult life. Yeah, I, I can see where it put a, a put a stronger significance now on the training, you know, whereas before, you know, it seemed like a good idea. Now it seems like, yeah. man, it's a great idea. You know, this is a life-saving idea. Yeah. And I, I wanted to mention, too, that as a department, I know we, we actually kind of changed up uh, some of the ways we do things. Now, once we go defensive... We don't ever send anybody in again 
because of this situation. Because we had, how many departments have done this? You know, we knock out the bulk of the fire out, we pulled everybody else gone defensive, and then we go back in and mop it up. And that's basically what you were doing. Yeah. And uh, I would say the three chiefs that we had running that scene were the best fire ground commanders yeah. the department has. Yeah. I mean, very experienced, very smart. You know, it was not some lapse in judgment uh, what was going on there by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, it, it really, you know, caught us on our heels a little bit, you know. And luckily, you know, Clark pulled through it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty significant that we change up, you know. That tactic works right up until it doesn't anymore. And it's on us to make sure that we do something about that, you know, when, when those tactics aren't working anymore. And the fire ground is so dynamic and changing so often, you know. I know guys hate it, the whole hit it hard from the yard kind of stuff, but you know the fuels, the things that are going on. Sometimes that's the right tactic to use. You know, you just you can't just be so stuck in the mold of saying you got to do it just this one way. You know. I want to ask you uh, go back to the the new lieutenant concept. Mm-hmm. So you're a new lieutenant, and um, how do you get guys to train at the level that you want them to train at that haven't experienced those things that you have experienced? Um, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working through that. Yeah, that's a tough one, actually. I think one thing that I do have going for me is that the way I train now is the way I trained before I made officer. And so some the, the guys that I do work with and have worked with knew before I got there kind of what to expect when I got there. So that, that may have helped a little bit, but it's still something I struggle with. So is it just you're hoping they follow blindly? So if you're out there in the bay doing something, you just hope they're going to come out there that's, and do it? That's or, how it started. Or are you, you know, pushing a little bit more? The crew I'm with now, I don't have to uh, really prod as much. They're they're all on board with it. The crew before, that's that's how I started. I go set something up out in the bay and uh, make it like a training issue or um, and, then, and then gradually work it into more, you know, just different things and like you were saying kind of lead by example a little bit and a lot of people that it works with and some people it doesn't so I tried shaming people some I found out that's not the right necessarily thing to do for me and, and the, the role I'm it's in fun, right though. now it's, it's fun, fun it, doesn't, it doesn't get the effect I wanted so I, I learned from that and I've moved on so it, I'm still in a learning process on, on as far as that goes so um, right now I'm fortunate that I have a crew that all my, my first shift at my station now, I was I was doing putting some runs in the computer at like two in the afternoon, and uh, one of the guys came in there and he's like, "Hey, we got the uh, we got the obstacle course set up. Are we waiting are on you? you coming, or <laughs> should we just do it without you? You know." So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. All right, are we ready for the questions now? All right, let's look these questions. All right, so we like to. Uh, uh, Hit you with a few questions. Uh, what is your favorite word or phrase on the fire ground? Work and fire. Work and fire. What is your least favorite word or phrase on the fire ground? Uh, defensive. <laughs> <laughs> because of this, or it's just always been that way? It's just something that's just been something I've never liked to hear. Engine or truck? Truck. As long as it's the first truck. It's <laughs> first somebody put that <laughs> one. <laughs> Why? Because um, the first truck's going to get the best assignment. What motivates you? Uh, to perform well on the fire ground. Uh, what's your favorite book? That's a that's a hard one. I, I guess uh, the 
One of the books I've gotten the most out of is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. It's a pretty good one. What's it about? Overcoming obstacles and how they make you stronger and how you shouldn't necessarily seek to avoid them but almost embrace them and grow from them and it, it's just different different scenarios through either presidents special forces guys just incredible stories of guys that are who they are and have done what they've done because of either physical ailments or obstacles that have been placed in their past and and that's that's really how most of the great people that are great have gotten that way yeah i, I kind of talk about that from time to time that adversity builds character you know good or bad you know, it's how you bounce back from it. So, I agree. Um, uh, what profession would you most want to do if you weren't a firefighter? Probably a stuntman. <laughs> do you know what? That makes perfect sense. I would have thought that. I, I would have thought you either. That makes perfect sense. Oh. Now, if you're being introduced as a keynote speaker at FDIC, what song would you want to be introduced to? Shipping Up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys. Oh, good song. <laughs> That makes sense, too. Very prepared for these questions. Uh, no, no, no. That's your retirement. How do you want to be remembered? Mm. I want to be remembered as somebody that was good at what I did. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. This was great. Yeah, awesome. I hope uh, everybody can take away something from this. I mean, it's a, it's a absolutely terrifying story you know, to yeah. sit here and listen about 16 minutes of air and and you ended up with a third degree burn you're burning while it's happening you're listening to them you can't communicate I mean that's just oh my gosh that's absolutely terrifying and you're a very strong man for uh, pulling through that I mean I had been in a situation where uh, I had a guy pinned in a, in a floor collapse and it shook him so bad he never went back to go into the fire ground again and I can see that happening to people you know wow this this is what can happen to me that's it I'm out I'm, I'm in inspections now I'm in whatever you know and you had the strength not only to come back but to keep pushing and go back to busy companies and you know keep trying to be in that so man I commend you it, it, it takes a strong person to keep up like that absolutely and I'll say for for myself and and some of the ones listening that even want to remotely come close to understanding what my recommendation would be go out there with your crew lay down on the ground put something on yourself for 16 minutes and see how long that is because I know just for 5 minutes it seems like an eternity I, I'm trying to imagine 16 minutes and actually put a clock on it to go for 16 minutes you're trapped under debris where you can only move one leg you've got to wrap your, your mind around that to really understand how significant that is that seems like an entire day 16 minutes of not being able to move anything but a leg so uh, I would highly recommend to train, do a glass drill. Go go lay out there with your crew, 16-minute drill, and uh, see how long that feels like. Yeah. All right. I think that's uh, wrapped up. Yeah. Appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for coming, buddy.